Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And we know that to be the truth, and no matter what. Howdy, howdy, Harry Alexander with you in Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. David Layton has just dropped into the studio. I mean, they're he just staggered in. Staggered in, man. Uh, let's see. Oh, and on the phone we have a special guest, uh, special. Su- Susan McRae. And the reason we've got all this going here uh, today is uh, my my friend's birthday. I deny that. Well, you denied me being your friend. Yeah, both. No, no. <laughs> Bunker is. Uh, I ain't gonna spay it. That you know, like like Collier said one time. The, uh, the the age is unlisted. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a state of mind or something. That's pretty I much it. Age, age is just a number. There you yeah, go. Yeah. And mine's unlisted. I think that's what There you go. Yeah. So mine's disconnected. Anyway, uh, before we get going here, I want to do this. Sons of the Pioneers, man. Hey, tuba. I love tubas. That's good. <laughs> anyway, happy birthday, more my tuba. friend. I want more tuba. Happy birthday, my thank friend. Thank you. Thank you. Well. All right. Uh, so we're going to do your story today. You you, you be the star oh, of no, the show. No, no. I'm going to misdirect this as much as I can. All right. Well, you got some housekeeping stuff some to housekeeping take care of. stuff here. Uh Looking up one of our future guests here, I was on the computer Friday, and his name popped up with another site. So I, looked, I was trying to find what I can find, where I can find it. I looked up that site, and the site was called Unsung Heroes and Villains of the Silver Screen. And so I looked it up. I spent over an hour looking, because all it is is portraits. It's of the old... Susan, you'd love this book because it's all the guys that you've hired over the years in the westerns. And it's holy moly, that's hundreds. That's hundreds of them. But these are the guys that are the icons, and these are they're all you know like me, you know, past the sunset. But and it's posed portraits on western sets, and they and they bring out the character of the guys, and it, they're just. It was like there's a picture of Ed Faulkner in there. I never saw Ed Faulkner look more Western in my life than he did in this picture. And it just, it was just really? astounding. And it, it, they're all from a book called Western Portraits, The Unsung Heroes and Villains of the Silver Screen by Steve Carver. And I highly recommend this. If you, if you love Westerns and you love the old timers, you're going to fall in love with this. And speaking of old timers... Yesterday was Bob Mitchum's birthday. He was born in 1917. And wow. It was also uh, Adolf Bandelier's birthday. Mm-hmm. He was born 100, and 100 years and one day ahead of me. Mm. And he was one of the leading archaeologists and uh, uh, developers of the story of the Indian in the West. Mm-hmm. And today is Purple Heart Day. And I want to salute all of the guys out there past, present, and future that have bled for our country because these are the guys that made America. There you go. Absolutely. No question Absolutely. about that. And I've had Listen, my Listen, I just also, I, I want to tell you also, October, I'm, I'm doing this ahead of time because I may not be speaking to you, 
because uh, I'm going to Kentucky, so I'll, I'll take your uh, regards to Don Collier. Great. He is going to be 93 years old on October 17th. Goodness. And I wanted to wish, have you wished him, and remember, he... Uh, a happy birthday to him as well. Oh, we no, will. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> we did his birthday show last, last year, last year yeah. which was one of our best shows. Yeah. Was, having the two well, of you I got to tell you, talk about serving in the service. He not he, he served in the Merchant Marines. I don't know if you know yeah. that. Yep. Uh, and also, of course, in the Navy. And he really fought for our country. He lost a, he lost a finger while he was working uh, for us in our country. And I'll tell you something, it was an important finger. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Susan McRae, uh, casting director on the Bonanza show, High Chaparral, bunches of others, house. Little House on the Prairie. She's heaven. here because uh, she knows you the best, my friend. And uh, well, I think she knows me too well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I think I'm the only one. I can honestly say I'm the only one who's actually hired him. <laughs> yeah, that's the only job I ever had. <laughs> and I really need a psychiatrist, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, everybody slips up once in a while, you know, and well, that's why I'm here for while, to remind you, know? you of your mistakes. How did Boy. you? How did you come across this guy, Susan? Oh, luck. <laughs> yes. no, I was actually, laying in the gutter I, and she stepped over me. Actually, actually, I met him in Tucson. Yeah. I I uh, I think that's right, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, I was I was doing Chaparral and Kent was uh, running the show and and he was Pappy was running the show. Yeah. Well, I I just remember. I remember. I think that you you probably did about what. 40 high chaperones? More, no? More than 50. 52 of them. Well, I did I did 42 that I have the titles for. And according to Henry Wales, there's a dozen, another dozen more that I did second unit on that I don't know what the titles were. Mm-hmm. You can just no, pick I'm up sure shots. Wow. Mm. And, and of course, I hired you as a smart person would uh, for Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. And you did a couple of those shows. I remember those very well. And if that wasn't enough, I hired you for Highway to Heaven. Yeah. I got one of the greatest compliments of my whole career from that show. For Highway? Uh, yes. The uh, editor, uh, you know, uh, Victor went to him and wanted to get some uh, outtake shots just for, for me personally. You know, so he's, he clip out a couple of things. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, he says, you look at it, he says, you know, he says, that guy scared me. <laughs> and then the funny thing was that Michael said the same thing after we did really? it. He says, I thought you were going to pull the trigger. <laughs> well, and, know, of course, I said well, the wrong thing. I said, I was going to. Well, you played a burglar, for God's sake. Yeah. Well, that's my job. Burglar. I know. I know. But do you remember the title of it? Uh... Not offhand. I do. Oh, what was it? Was it was called. It was called "Bless the Boys in Blue." Yes, yes, yes. See, hey, I'm no dummy. Hey, you know what was neat is uh, I think also Carlo Carlos Palomino. I think that was his first acting job, the boxer. Probably. Yeah. Wow. Hey, he listen. Was, we don't leave anybody unturned here. Yeah. yeah he always got a hand up. 
always, always. But you were. I'll tell you, Steve. It's your birthday, so I can I can tell you this. We always knew we could depend on you. We always knew and trusted your judgment on everything you did with us, which could have been kind of leery, but we did. And 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 we were very fond of you, Steve. And we'll always remember you for working with us and being with us on our incredible crew, of course, and being uh, being with Mike and with Kent and I. And we just had a wonderful time with you, and we'll always remember that. And we wish you a very happy birthday. Well, I'm very appreciative. I have, I have to to confess that some of the best post uh, film work has been when we did when you were doing the reunions. And getting to see everybody and visit with everybody and and you know one of my uh, for me one of the highlights was when uh, your hubby would get up there and give his uh, explanation of what he did and how it worked behind the scenes. So many people would walk away from there and say, "I didn't know that's what went on." I mm -hmm. mean, he amazed people. Mm -hmm. He was a great you teacher. Know, he, he he did it so easily that people didn't realize what he really had to do to put that show together. Yeah. And, you know, but, go ahead. Well, Susan, that's the, that's the mark. Susan, that is the mark of a, of a true professional, is to make it absolutely. look easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's right. what they do. And, I, but, and, and, that's, you, and that's, that sucks in all the fools who think they well, can do it. Does. It does, and, I'll and then they fall flat thing. on their face. I'll tell you one thing that Kent always said. Always hire the best person for the job and then leave them alone. And that's what he did. And he hired the best because he was the best. And if anybody had a problem, they knew they could go, as Don Collier calls him, Big Daddy. Mm -hmm. He always called him BD because he always took care of the cast and crew. And I'll tell you, uh, it, it's a true thing. If you hire the best, and that's true in any business, if you hire the best people uh, for what they do, then you do leave them alone mm -hmm. and, and let them do what they do the best. Well, when you see the money on the screen instead of uh, off the screen, mm -hmm. then you know you've got somebody that's special mm -hmm. because so often that's what you see in the movies. You see, you see what's left over from the money right. that got on the screen. Right. And it doesn't. You know, I'll tell you, Susan, the only High Chaparral was probably one of the most incredible westerns because that that budget was not what you see these days. The budget that people spend now isn't half as what we did. Wow. Uh, as far as putting quality on television and I, I mean he really knew exactly what he was doing and mm. I I am so proud of that show and I think everybody was you know I, I've got to say that I think and this is coming from I think a very critical eye myself uh, because I've studied I've studied film since I was a kid I'm still studying I'm still learning but one of the things about doing a western is getting it right and making it authentic and making the characters believable and alive. And of all of the Westerns, and this also includes an awful lot of movies, uh, when you're doing a ranch story to make it be believable, 
and the High Chaparral Ranch could have been a real working ranch with the guys they had there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could. Absolutely right. That's what Collier said. It, it was the best, the best Western he ever appeared in because it was like working on a real cattle ranch. Well, you know, we would do, we'd do shots out there, you know, because, you know, I was either a good guy or a bad guy, and I like being a bad guy for more fun. But we'd steal the cattle or stampede the cattle. And then when the shot was over, you know, well, most productions, when the shot's over, all the guys in the shot go back to go back to the shade and get a drink of water. We'd go out and help the ranklers gather them up and get them back because we could get the next shot that much quicker. Makes and, sense. And, yeah. And you know why, don't you? Yeah, Big Daddy. <laughs> That's exactly right. And he'd just be sitting there with the biggest smile on his face, because you know he. Well, he he loved the guys, you know, Steve. Yeah. He loved them, and he loved helping everybody. And that's why they loved helping and working with him as well. I think everybody that I've ever worked with that worked on Chaparral all said the I same thing. I think so, too. Yeah. They all said the same thing. It was, it was one of the greatest experiences of their career. Hmm. Sometimes those things happen, and it's unfortunate that it could not have been continued. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and we understand why, but it's unfortunate. Well, I, think, I, I love David Dortort, but I think he made the wrong choice mm-hmm. when he decided to today with Bonanza. I think Bonanza had been played by that time and, and it was so you know it was it was a great show but it was yeah. so unrealistic as far, right right as far as a ranch stories were well, getting out of hand how many times have I told this story on the show about Bonanza is the the great joke by in the movie Tin Men by Jackie Mason directed by uh, Barry uh, um, the guy who directed uh, 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 The Natural and um Oh, God, and uh, uh, so many great films. A great director. And, uh, you know, it's a story of ten men who get together uh, every morning uh, and have coffee and their sweet roll prior to going and selling uh, uh, aluminum siding in Baltimore. And uh, so uh, Danny DeVito is the head of one group, and Richard Dreyfuss is the head of the other group. And Jackie Mason is part of the uh, Danny DeVito group, and they're all sitting in the cafe, and they're drinking their coffee and talking about what they're going to sell for the day. And in the middle of it all, Jackie Mason goes, "Hey, hey, hey! Did you did you watch Bonanza last night?" Right. He says, Dude, right. "What? What? Did you? What? We're we're talking about work here, and you're talking right. about Bonanza." He goes, I love Bonanza. Don't you love Bonanza? I love Bonanza. That's my favorite throw. And he says, I don't understand you. How do you love a show about a 50-year-old man and his three 49-year-old sons? (laughs) So, and that's, I never understood what it was that I, I didn't, I couldn't get about Bonanza, but that was it. Even though I did love the the house, and I love the fact that they had a cook who was Chinese, so they could eat Chinese food every night. Uh, but other than that, I was it was a little bit of a miss for me. Now, how do you run around? You never saw any of the cowboys. You'd see Carl Petty once in a while. Yeah. Thank God. But you know, generally he would bring a horse to, to Ben, and then he'd go. Just you'd never see him again. The rest mm-hmm. of the show. Yeah. Yeah, but hey. It was still successful. No, no question about that. Huge. My God, it was huge. Susan, do you need to take off? I know you've got other things going on there. Or you want to? Or you know what? Or can you stick with while us? While I while I was talking to you, everybody left. 
Wow. <laughs> we have that effect. Ran them off. We have that effect on people. It, <laughs> you yeah, you your room in a heartbeat. I, I didn't even have a chance to say goodbye to everybody. Yeah. But that's okay. All right. It's all right. So, At least I spoke so Susan, I have to, you know, listen, I, I, I'm so happy you're on the show with us today. I really am. And I'm always happy when you're with us. And Thanks. we love having you. But I have to say, the only negative about having you on the show is the fact that Bunker behaves. So uh, this is, I'm I'm doing the show with a stranger right now. This is not the Bunker I know. Well, you know, you got me at a disadvantage. For that reason, Bunker, Bunker, hold on, hold on, Bunker, hold on. So for that reason, Susan, um, I'm I'm going to uh, uh, lay myself at the mercy of you uh, to please, or she should I say, the mercy <laughs> of the show at your feet, and ask you to tell us a story about Bunker that uh, will turn him as red as a cherry. Good luck. Wow. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I was always I a gentleman around her, so that there would be I, no, I no I, evil I evidence against something. me. I wish I had something really awful to say, but I I uh, I wish I did. You mention I, I any of his ex girlfriends you want. <laughs> oh well, well maybe I make it. Maybe I can call a couple of them. I can help you out. But I aha aha. You know. Wait a minute. Uh, I want I, Exhibit A. I want to give Jackie Hummer Bridges Foster Exhibit One. You can call her to tell her what an upstanding, upright individual I am, and always a gentleman. That's one well, thing the lady you know, said. Jackie always tries to be a good soul. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I actually, I just talked to Jackie Hummer yesterday, oh. and and uh, and I good. told her, I told her I was going to be call. Uh, call I mean, I was going to be on the phone with you today. Wishing you a happy birthday, and she said, "Oh, please, I'm not calling him." (laughs) (laughs) So she could uh, tell some stories about me, though. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think it best to be unsaid. Well, on that note, then we'll go to our very first commercial break. Uh, You are in tune with Emil Franzi's of Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our guest is uh, Susan McRae, casting director, also in the studio, freelance journalist David Layton. We'll be back with much more right after these very important messages. And our topic today is Mr. de France. We'll be back. The land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities
ways that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Ann. Anderson, served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Sport? This is the sweetest setup I've ever had in my life. I'll loan her the money we get from selling her own cattle. When these suckers go broke fighting each other, you and I move in and take over most of the valley. (laughs) This is the Voices of the West. You can talk about your line counts where the springs run rock and ride. You can sing about shark wagons where the grub is always high. But in case I want my comfort, and that's a chronic case, you'll always find me hanging around the old home place. Oh, the old home place. We're back on April Oh, the old home place. <laughs> We're back on Emil Frangie's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Booker to France, Todd Roberts, our uh, David Layton in studio with us. Our guest uh, by phone is casting director Susan McRae, and the reason she's here is because it's Mr. DeFrancis. Yeah, nothing better to do. Well, that's, that's true. true, too. But uh, it's it's Bunker's Day today, and uh, by golly, we're going to... Uh, you're going you're gonna to put me through all this. I'm going to put you through it, is, is I'll right. Get even, I'll get even. I know you will. You'll I'll, bleed. Yeah, I know that. I, there's no, Bunker, doubt, no doubt in my military. you need to realize something. Uh, uh, the bad news is, Bunker, that this, when this show's over, only half of your celebration has happened. Because when I come to town, um, we're gonna we're gonna hog tie you and throw you in the trunk. Watch out! And Watch we're gonna take you places <laughs> that you've never been, and a lot of places you've been thrown out of. Oh well, that you doesn't know, leave You know, I, 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 I've got to tell you, Todd. Just because of that, when I get home, I got something to do tonight. I'm gonna start sharpening my biggest knife. And it, you can already shave the hair off your arm with it. But when I'm done, it's going to be a flare like you have never filleted. Bunker, here's your problem. <laughs> Once I get you liquored up, you'll never find it. Well, that's good Good luck, because I don't drink. Yeah, right. No, you, you say you only have one beer. Once a month. That's right. That's right. And I'm going to catch you on that once a month beer. The problem is, is it's going to be the size of a paint bucket at, at Home go. Depot. Hey, I only go so many swallows, and that's it. <laughs> All right. You grew up in uh, in Riadoso, New Mexico. That's right. That's over east of here. Yeah, that's right. In, San, in Dona Ana County, right? The, What's wrong with you? Uh, no, I'm sorry. I don't know. Are you, you, you're flashing back to Dreyfus. And, yeah. You know, 
anyway, Dreyfus was born in Donna. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. He calls it. He calls it Santa Cruz. Right? That, or Cochise. Cochise that's yeah. it. Yeah. No, Lincoln right. County was my home. Lincoln he kept County. threatening to arrest me. Lincoln County, and what's that got to do with anything? What possessed you to? I mean, you were around horses much of your life as a youngin. Kind of. And so mostly what, picking up. Okay, you joined the Navy. You got out of the Navy. Yeah, you got out of the Navy. You did some. You did. You rode a bull while you were in the Navy. I tried to. Yeah, and you get out of the Navy. You go back to Rio Doso. You go working at the uh, at the racetrack. Yeah, that's what I did. And what possessed you to head west to go into the picture business? Nothing possessed me. Okay. What happened is my dad passed away while I was in in the Navy, and he had a home here in Tucson. And my aunt, who was the main executor in the state, because Arizona said if you weren't 21, right. you couldn't be an executor. Right. And so she was the executor of the state, and she rented it, rented it out while I was gone. Well, when I got out, there's no reason to be here, so I just went back to New Mexico, which mm-hmm. I've done anyway, and had the house rented. Well, absentee with the landlords uh, have a tendency not to get paid very regularly. Mm. And so I making frequent calls, and pretty soon they weren't even answering the calls. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon they were saying this number is no longer connected. Mm-hmm. So being the bright fellow that I am, I put two and two together and got five. And I said I better go out there. So I came out, walked into the house with about an inch and a half of water over everything, and said oh, okay. So anyhow, I cleaned the house up, put the house up for sale, and in the meantime. I went to work for the racetrack down here at Relito Park. Okay. The home of Quarter Horse Racing. That's right. And uh, so anyhow, I'm down there working at the track, and there was a thing in the paper. They were going to, they were co- movie company had come to Tucson, and they were going to be making a movie. And I thought, well, heck, you know, I should be a movie star. So, and they said they were building a set out at the Romero Ranch. Uh, which is actually where the Dreyfus family had it, which is part of Catalina State Park. Mm-hmm. There. So I drive out there, and I drive up, I find it, look way back there, drive back roads, get there, get out of my truck, and one of the guys says, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm out here looking for a job. He said, you union? I said, oh, no, I don't, I don't want a carpenter job. I said, I'm looking for an acting job. I'm an actor. Well, I guess either the good Lord was smiling or he had a sense of humor, because the guy says, well, you need to go into town to the Santa Rita Hotel and see a fellow named Earl Jones. I said, well, I can do that. So I did. I drove back into town, went into the old Santa Rita. And this hotel was like, it's like something out of a, out of a 1930s movie, you know, mm-hmm. brownstone, mm-hmm. big, big long passageway to the lobby, huge lobby. I walk in there, and there's about, I'd say about between 40 and 60 cowboys just lounging in the library and there's so I go up to the front desk and I says, Can you tell me where I can find Mr. Earl Jones? And the guy says, Yeah, he's right up there on the Lanai. You just go up the stairs and right know his office is right on the left. I go, oh, thank you. I go up the stairs up there and there's a line of about a dozen cowboys, you know, waiting in line patiently to talk mm-hmm. to Mr. Jones. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm dumb and greener greener to green hatch green chili. So I go walking past all of them. And I go up and I say, Mr. Jones now, Earl Jones had been a cavalry officer in World War One, and a little short guy, he looked like a, uh, a tout from the racetrack, had a long, bright, 
sports coat, little mm-hmm. pork pie hat, mm-hmm. Coke bottle glasses, and anyhow, he, he, he kind of smiles up at me and tilts his glasses down over his throat, and he says, uh, yeah, well, what can I do for you? I said, Mr. Jones, my name's Steve DeFrance. That was my real name, my family, not my family name. Mm-hmm. But I said, Mr. Jones, my name is Steve DeFrance, and I'm an actor. I want to work for you. He smiled. He says, well, Stevie boy, I'll tell you. He says, I don't need any actors. He says, what I need is cowboys that can ride. I said, Mr. Jones, I said, you are in luck because I'm a better rider than I am an actor. <laughs> and I guess it tickled him because he put me to work and I chased Paul Newman for a couple of days on horseback. Uh, and that was how I got started. That's great. That, that is just great. And in through that association, is that when you met Neil Summers? Neil was one of the cowboys sitting in the lobby. And we worked together, and we worked together from then on, you know, until he left Tucson. He left about two years before I did. And uh, I saw the handwriting on the wall because they just weren't making any westerns, especially over here. And I said, you know, I think Neil may be a little brighter than I am. I think I'll go out to California. I went out there, and I worked, you know, and I never set the town on fire, but I, I made it, you know, managed to get 30 years in before I, before I just said, you know, I can't take it out here anymore because if I stay, I'm going to keep starving because I was, you know. You were working paycheck to paycheck. Well, I was working, you know, going from uh, chicken and feathers to, to steak, you know, and mm-hmm. mostly chicken and feathers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, there comes a time, you know, you got to, you got to look around. And guys like Dave Cass, who had started out like I had, you know, and I worked with Dave here. And Dave had moved on to uh, being a stunt coordinator and then eventually second unit director and director who did a great job at what he was doing. And I, was, I thought, you know, there's nobody going to hire me as a, as a second unit director because I don't, I don't have that kind of knowledge. And... Uh, I just don't have the right... I wasn't a politician. I didn't know how to mm-hmm. schmooze and hustle people. Didn't want to either. Oh, I didn't. No, I'd, I'd rather... I mean, my, the, the highlight of my working was sitting around with the stunt guys and the wranglers and just listening to these guys tell the stories of the old days. I mean, I still I still think that's the best thing that ever happened was, you know, it's like being a kid never having to grow up, you know. Cowboys and Indians until you're... In your fifties, that means how can you beat that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, I don't know the how. I don't know that you can beat that. And I still have grown up. I know. Prematurely immature. <laughs> I'll tell you, Dave Cass was a wonderful actor too. Yes, he is. Well, you know, Dave did a ton. I didn't realize it because when I was working on Chaparral, I didn't. You know, we weren't watching the show because we never had time. Plus, back then, if it was, it was something else, you were off somewhere on location, or you were. So you didn't get to see the shows that often. And then I started watching the shows, and I thought, dang, Dave almost a semi-regular on there. He was really great. Yeah. He was a wonderful actor, a wonderful guy. Terrific. And, you know, he the funny thing is, he, at one point, this was, you know, a couple years ago, uh, when he was directing a lot of the uh, Hallmark Hall of Fame uh, TV movies, he did mm-hmm. the highest-rated Hall of Fame movie at that time that was rated. Oh. It was one of his movies. Well, and he wrote scripts, good. too. He was a heck of a writer. Uh, you know, yeah, he really was. You not only did westerns, you did bunches of other 
things, but predominantly westerns. I mean, you you were that's what I knew. Uh, Catch twenty two is not exactly a western, but I mean, it well, takes it place was, in Mexico. It was, it, was, <laughs> you know, it was western Mexico. Yeah, which right. I did down in Juarez, <laughs> four months down there on location. That was a, that was a trip. <laughs> Any stories from that that you can tell? What did I can tell? Well, you know, there's an interesting, it's just kind of interesting because uh, that was one of my early jobs, and I've always, I always had to, you know, always curious. And so when I was working on shows, you know, where the guys would be off playing hearts or goofing, if I wasn't over listening to the stories, I was down around camera watching and listening and stuff like that. And also, I learned very early on, if they needed somebody and you were by camera, the AD would rather get you than go running, you know, 50 yards away or mm-hmm. something to get somebody mm-hmm. when you're right there. So I was, you know, that's I was learning. That's how I started doing standing. And they'd need somebody and I'd jump in and do it. And stuff it was like just that. one of those things they, they needed to stand in and you were yeah. you were the and down, lucky candidate. Down there, I was doubling. I was doubling the principles. You know, whenever one of the uh, B-17s would go up, mm-hmm. uh, all of the pilots were hired by Bill Tallman. And these guys were all, for the most part, veteran fighter pilots, bomber pilots, uh, airline pilots, but that were retired or some of them medically retired mm-hmm. because they couldn't pass the physicals anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, consequently, I would be doubling the actors in the navigator seat because they wouldn't put the actors in these old planes. Right. Know, it was like, and I think the actors wouldn't have got in them anyway. <laughs> But anyhow, so that was that was my job, and then I was also standing in to fill in when I wasn't doubling. But uh, being around camera all the time, uh, there was a little group of people that uh, it was almost like a little Hollywood colony, mm-hmm. and I would be there all the time, you know, just being trying to be handy. But I'm you know, not doing anything; I'm reading. And Mike Nichols came up one day and he says, "What are you reading?" And I said, "Well, I'm reading the essential David Hume." He says, well, that's interesting. He says, I read that. I said, oh, okay. So about every three or four days, we'd like we'd be in line for lunch or something. Mm-hmm. He'd come by and he'd go, what are you reading? <laughs> and I'd tell him, he'd say, I read that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take, take another commercial break here. We're talking about... Uh, the life and career of uh, my friend and co-host Bunker de France here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Todd Roberts, our guest is Susan McRae. David Layton's in studio. We'll be back. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent.
dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting place courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. You've got some cattle you want, Russell, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. Little lady up the road apiece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step near and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal, but you need the right henchmen to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but blank henchmen to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scrappy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. And that's just a gentle hench. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a rent hench to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Rent a hench, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. Was it you or Jeff here that plugged Tom Dillon in the back? I didn't do it, Ma. Somebody shoot Dillon? You're not going to get away with it this time. You didn't give him the chance I'm going to give you. Your heels, so go for your guns. I won't have no fight. Stand back and hold your horses. I come here for justice. Not the kind you shorthorns deal out. Make your play. This is the Voices of the West. Welcome back to another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. And all you tin horns out there. <laughs> and David Layton in studio with us. Our guest is uh, casting director Susan McRae. And the reason we've got Susan with us today, you know, we're helping you celebrate uh, Bunker's birthday. You know, i got a story I want to tell old Jackie Hunter. All right. Actually, it's on me because Todd wanted some dirt on me, so I'm going to tell this one. We were working on uh, Stars Born. And they had a shot there that's supposed to be uh, Chris Christopherson and Barbara Stanwyck out horse. Streisand. Huh? Streisand. Barbara Streisand. What did I say? Stanwyck. Oh, I'm not, not a better <laughs> actress. But, yeah. but anyhow, you know. She was Jack, a little too old for the part. Yeah. Yeah, she would have been great, though. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Jackie was doubling Barbara, and I was doubling Chris, and it was like a sunset shot. You know, you got we're silhouetted by the beautiful Arizona desert sun sunset, and we're horseback, bareback, and uh, I think it was Speck Wilson's uh, his daughter's horse had never been on a movie set, and so anyway, and we're riding bareback, right? So we're doing this, and we're doing the shot, and we're riding along, and the horse kept trying to buck. And so and I'm trying to make the shot look smooth, you know. So I was using some flavorful language to the horse. And we finished the shot, and Jackie tapped me on the shoulder, and I said, what? And she says, she says I didn't know you knew those kind of words. <laughs> yeah, and the safety of your own yeah. whatever. Well, you know, it was, it was the situation. You got you got to go with the situation. Go go with the flow. You were talking while we were on the break. You were talking to us about stunt you did in uh, Rambo Three, where uh, talk about that. Well, you know, uh, David asked me what I what I did on Bonanza, and you know how I could tell it was me and stuff like that. And I said, well, for one thing, uh, either it was Bonanza or Chaparral. If it was. So, uh, an Indian on bareback, no saddle, no blanket. It was either Ron McCarty or me. And if they were shooting a bow and arrow, it was definitely me because I, you know, I just tie the knot reins off and and just pump them arrows out. You know, second nature to you. Huh? Well, you know, when you got somebody like Carl Petty, who was one of the greatest uh, bow and arrow guys. After Howard Hill, probably the greatest bow and arrow guy in the movie business. Mm -hmm. uh, there, you know, you. How can you go wrong? You know, because he's a great teacher and would help you. And, you know, but that's what I would do. And and, so, and I just said, you know, they're like well, Rambo three uh, when they have all the Afghani's down there. And there, there's one shot because you know there's there's probably almost two dozen stuntmen, dozen horsemen. I was I was, I was in that group. Uh, and you know, how do you stand out when you're on a battlefield with about 300, 400 people, because that's how many people were down there. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's one shot where this Afghani is firing an AK-47, standing up in the saddle, firing as he's riding along. He's run, it's a running, you know, tracking shot, and that's me. You were good friends with Victor French as oh, well. Yeah, he's one of my, he's one of my great teachers, my acting teacher, my one of my best friends out there. I, I lived in his guest house for years. How how did that all come about? Did, well, that's an interesting story. You know, we first met... Probably uh, had a lot to do with drinking. <laughs> no, no, because, I, like I said, I'm not a drinker. I don't. I just don't... I never let my folks own bars. I yeah, but he bar. was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I did go out with him a few times, and that's that's that that's a trip in itself. Cause oh, he, that's totally an experience. <laughs> yeah, he is one of the funniest... You know, you'd never think, because he's always seemed so sober and almost dour-like. But when he, when he was comfortable, he was one of the funniest men alive. He, but uh, we were working on Real Lobo, and he you know he was Ketchum, the head bad guy, mm -hmm. and I was one of his ranch hands. And we were doing some night stuff, and everybody was in the sheriff's office staying warm because it was bitter cold. And all the guys are over off in the corner playing liar's poker. And I'm over at the sheriff's desk all by myself reading again <laughs> and he comes over and he goes uh, how come you're not over there uh, playing liar's poker with everybody else 
And I said, and this is, is this typically me? Because I, I say the most stupid, off-the-wall, weird things. I look up at him. I said, it's because I'm basically not corrupt like the rest of them. <laughs> I went back to reading. And it stuck with his head. And then a few years later, he come over here to do Matt's Love Story. Mm-hmm which was the highest rated gun smoke of its day mm-hmm. and he was you know, he was the uh, he was the head head guy in that after Arness of course and so I got I got to work with him and you know and we worked together and I guess I get it said for some reason which I can never explain he liked me and he took to me and then when I moved out to California I'd see him in the coffee shops from time to time you know and I you know I don't and he said to ask him about his acting classes and stuff like that. And every once in a while, because like I say, he could be the most unsociable guy in the world because mm-hmm. he'd be in a mood or he'd be mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. a show or something. Uh, but every once in a while, he'd say, you know, it was generally Neil and myself, maybe one other. He'd say, come over and sit down. We'd sit down and BS for a while. And one of the things which I think broke the ice is because Neil has one of the greatest collection of lobby cards, mm-hmm. 8x10 scales. Of westerns of anybody in the world, right? And we would talk about that. And one day he said, "You know, I'd like to go out with you guys." He said, "I love that stuff." So we went out. And we went down to Eddie Brandt's and a couple of places in Hollywood, you know. And he went, "This is this is cool." <laughs> and so we would start going out to you know on Saturdays. We'd go out to Pasadena or someplace like that. Neil would buy about forty dollars worth of stuff. I might buy a five dollar item. And Victor would buy about you know three or four hundred dollars worth of Buck Jones stuff, mm-hmm. and it just it just grew from there. And then at one at one point he said, you know, he said my guest house is sitting out there empty. He says it's cheaper to live here, and I said, I oh, know I won't do it. And it took about a month, you know. And Neil kept saying, you know, go over there, you know. And I said, no, I don't want to. I don't want to be obligated to him. He said, no. So I moved over there, but and. Uh, I'd help out around the place, do a little gardening and stuff like that, and spent I don't know how countless hours in the house watching TV with him. And mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, just you know, and I then I took his acting classes, and and I think that's one of the reasons that I got some of the jobs I got because he was directing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and when the director says, "I want this guy," you know, did he direct Matt's Love? No, Matt's no, Love that story? was that was uh, Gunnar Hellstrom. So how how did you happen to get that particular job? Because of my horseman. Okay. You know, uh, you, you did, and uh, the picture I used for the promotion of of this event is your dismount mm-hmm. uh, as you're riding in, and you're you're supposed to tell, I forget who the character is. You're supposed to tell him something, yeah. and you do you do your own Ben Johnson dismount there. Well, that's to me of all the stuff I ever did, and. That just get just the opportunity to come in, do a sliding stop, you know, step off, do the dialogue before the horse is even standing, standing yeah. full up. Yeah, uh, it was just my Ben Johnson, Joe McRae moment because you know, McRae was a kid as a kid growing up. That you know, that was the living cowboy. The other cowboys were the Buck Jones and mm-hmm. the George O'Briens mm-hmm. and the old. 1930s guys, because mm-hmm. I love those guys. I, grew, I, I watched them. You know, I, I watched them at the same age, you know, on television. That my dad probably watched them in the movies, the, in, the, in the movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And so it was like it was almost like growing up in the 30s again, too. Wow. Wow. 
We what take... do you think ever happened to the great lobby card collection that Vic had? I don't. I I think what what happened is Bear. You know, his boy. You think his son got it? You think? I think. Well, I, I know he got it, and I'm almost positive he just sold it off for video games. <laughs> because I, I gotta say, he had an amazing. When oh. we went to the house, it it was just amazing. And he always knew that I loved Betty Davis. <laughs> and what he gave he gave me unbelievable things. Not only lobby cards, but tremendous pictures, old pictures that people yep. never saw that he got and would give them to me and one time he gave me a collection of all of the films that my father did oh. of all the movies and as a gift to me I couldn't believe it and oh, I so I had all those lobby cards of all my father's films I was absolutely beside myself mm. it was such a wonderful gift it's, it's just so that's so typical of him you know what was yeah. neat too when we would go out and we would be looking at this stuff he would be humming and oh, he'd yeah. come and he'd come across to buck joe especially buck jones and if it was a neat poster or a, a lobby card he literally would start trembling wow he would just go uh, like a kid i mean wow. uh, it, he was and he just you know it's hard to, it's hard to explain victor to people because uh he was a very complicated man, but very upfront and was. very, very honest. I mean, and loved what he did. Know, yeah, it's an interesting thing with Vic. You know, uh, Vic used to come in my casting office, and we used to sit and talk forever, um, because he directed a lot of shows as mm -hmm. well, and um, we we did a lot of a lot of incredible talking about different things. He was a very emotional man yes. and very. Very complicated, and uh, the moods—the mood swings were quite something. Mm -hmm. All right, we got to do our final commercial break here. Harry Alexander, Bunker to Friends, Todd Roberts. It is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. David Layton's in studio with us, and Susan McRae's our guest. We'll be back with much more. The land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester '73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. 
Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Take Dodge City over there. Gomorrah of the Plains, they call it. Jump-off spot. People coming and going all the time, good, bad, and worse. Temper's high. A man will draw his gun quicker to prove a point than he'll draw on his logic. This is the Voices of the West. Head me down on the prairie where my pals never change. Make my home in that carefree country, land of the open range. We're back on Abel Franzi's uh, Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker to France. Todd Roberts, our guest is Susan McRae by phone. And in studio with us is uh, observer David Leighton. And take me back to that comfortable country. Ray, i got to end the show with a Ray Whitley, too. Oh, of course. It's tradition. You know. Speaking of Rays, yeah. I've got a big announcement here coming up. Oh, you're going to give up, me a raise? Com, com, uh, yeah. Coming up in next uh, next month, yeah. we will have, yes. uh, we will be talking about uh, the history of Western music, not country and Western, Western music, and uh, we will have on our program, I'm very happy to say, Mr. Ray Benson, who is the leader of Asleep at the Wheel, big-time Western swing band, and uh, we'll be talking about Bob Wills, Johnny Bond, Ray Whitley, and Eddie Dean, and all Glenn those and all, of, all those guys yeah. and gals. Well, you know, that's cool. That's, that's yeah. exciting. I'm excited about that. That'll what, be coming up. What is the, do you have the date on that? Uh, we don't have a specific air date, up. but okay. it's coming up in September. Ray Benson of Asleep at the Wheel. That means you got to listen every week. There you go to find out. Right? Exactly. We're doing... Uh, we're, we're, yeah? 
I got to ask you a question. Okay. And you know, you know Jack Lilly very well. Oh, yeah. And you did a particular episode of Chaparral, and it was called For What We Are About to Receive. Oh, yeah. Yes. And Great episode. We, it was about uh, a tur- turkey shooter. Yes. Okay? And I remember a very funny story about Jack and what he said to the humane man who was on the set mm-hmm. that day because we had a live turkey in the wagon and the guys were getting together to catch a turkey for Thanksgiving. You remember that? Yes, the story is, you know, in the, in the, in the film, this turkey kept disappearing and reappearing and getting caught and there were multiple turkeys but nobody knew it. But at anywhere at one point there's a shot where they're they got the turkey in a cage in the buckboard right. and they're heading back to the ranch and they're being chased and the shot is that the, they hit a bump and the cage drops out of the buggy and mm-hmm. it breaks open and the turkey runs away. Okay. Well, they're getting right. ready to do that, and the humane man says, no, you can't do that. He said, well, what, what can we right, do? That's right, because you'll hurt the turkey. You'll hurt the turkey, <laughs> yeah. He said, you might, you, might, you, might, you might kill the turkey. And they said, well, what are we going to do? And they're, they're, all the heads get together, and they're talking, and they're talking. And finally, yeah, the, humane Jack, man, the humane man... Jack's line, make sure you get it right. The humane man goes, well, you know, we can't kill the turkey on... We can't hurt the turkey on camera, but I'll tell you what... Let's just kill the turkey, put a dead turkey in there, and when it bounces off, then we'll put a live turkey in there and it'll run away. And Jack <laughs> says, he says, you know, speaking for the turkey, I'd rather take my chances with the wagon. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't think there was a, a, a dry eye in the place of laughing so hard. And even the humane man said, you know what, you're really right. Said, That's really right. <laughs> And That's the turkey, really and the turkey fell in love with Jack that day. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Followed him everywhere. Followed him home. Now it you, was the most hysterical time we ever had. You, you bunker has shared a picture with me of uh, you with um, the great Yakima Canute. You got to meet him. You, mm-hmm. you did not work with him. He had already been retired. But I mean, that must have been a thrill and well, a half. You know, he, his home was on Riverside. Okay, right there in North in Studio City, and Victor's, was pla- Victor's place was probably about, oh, four or five blocks, caddy corner off, mm-hmm. and one of the coffee shops that I used to go to, because yeah, out there, that's where you, if you weren't, if you weren't home, you were in a coffee mm-hmm. shop, you know, and, but I would go by his place all the time, and I'd see him out there watering, he was always, he watered, mm-hmm. and so anyhow, you know, uh, a friend of mine, he said, you know, he says, I, I have coffee with Yak every once in a while. And I said, God, you're a lucky SOB. He said, you want to join us? I said, <laughs> I said what? No, yeah. I said, what? He said, oh, I already, I already talked to him. He said, yeah. Wow. So I got to have coffee with him. Wow. Uh, but what was neat is one day I was driving back, and they're having a yard sale in his place. The missus is out there, and he's out there watering. Mm-hmm. So I pulled off, and I'm around looking around and stuff like that, and I walked all the way out. And I looked at him, I said, you ain't happy, are you? And, you know, and, and you have to be a little grumpy. He says, he says, yeah, I'm not happy. And then some people walked in, and I saw him looking at her. I said, I know what you're thinking. He says, 
Yeah, water might I says, you'd like to squirt them. He says, damn right. <laughs> huh. so, there's always room. Oh, my God. Bunker, thank you so much for uh, Great show, contributing. We'll never do this again. Oh, probably not. I will not have another birthday. Yeah, uh, well... Maybe not, but you know. Well, it's been. It should have. It, it should have liquor with it. Yeah, right? it's it's. I, I. It's been a blast for me, Susan. Thank you so much for joining thank us, you, Susan. I, I hey, love you to pieces. Happy birthday, Pre- appreciate it very much. That's thank it, you, David. That's it for this edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We'll be back with you uh, next time. I don't know what we're doing next week, but we something. Anyway, 78, 79, 79.5. 80.0. So long. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.